Hello, everybody. Welcome to another round with Tom and Kevin. I think this is the first time we have hit the minute on the dot with doing uh, a show. Kudos to our guest today for yeah. you know for being on time, having the link. I mean, he was actually early, yeah. so our, already off the back. You know, I booked this one, so you should be pretty impressed. He was here before you too. I he was here before me, which is <laughs> thank you for pointing that out so well. Uh, if you're tuning in, to, they feel a little lost. They don't know how to monetize it. They don't know where to go. And um, we have the man to do that, to answer those questions. And he's taking time out of his busy schedule. Yeah. Did you get the email with the schedule? Yes. Insane. Yeah. I mean, I thought <laughs> I had a busy schedule. Yeah. So without further ado, I want to introduce an amazing man, Mike Alton. Mike, thanks for joining us today, sir. Thanks, buddies. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, sorry, Kevin, I paid Tom to say those things. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> No worries. Checks in the mail, right? That's right. Checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. <laughs> well, one of the reasons uh, we spoke together, uh, not together, but we were both at the MDMC in St. Louis, and that's how we originally met. And then I, when I got online and saw your background, um, I tried to help distribute content out for a lot of the speakers to help promote the event. And yours is the one that really stood out to me when I stalked you online as far as what you do. And your background is, is well, one, impressive. So tell our audience a little bit about your background, your history, and then we'll kind of go into some questions. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I've been blogging for over 10 years now, which is why you saw so much content, why you continue to see so much content. I don't blog multiple times a day anymore, but I did when I first started. Uh, I was blogging for another business for a while, and, and that's kind of where I discovered that I really enjoyed to blog. But then I started the social media hat in 2012. And back then, I was blogging two or three times a day. And by, I mean, I was actually publishing content two or three times a day, six to 14 pieces of content a week which you can do when you don't have any clients paying you to work, right? <laughs> so um, that's where I developed that re reputation. And that's where I also developed this, this skill, these muscles for blogging and this passion for blogging. So I've been doing it ever since. I've had a full-time job for the past four years. I worked for, I was the CMO for a company for several years. And now I work for Girl Pulse. That's my full-time job. So it's funny you mentioned my schedule. For anyone watching, they're talking about an email I sent yesterday outlining uh, a, a series of Facebook Lives that I was doing this week, which is unusual. I usually don't, don't do more than one a week. Happen to have four this week, including this one, hosting another one today, another one tomorrow night, another one Thursday, mostly do with GDPR and all that kind of garbage. But honestly, that's all in addition to my full-time job because I'm working for a girl pulse all day, every day. Uh, so just jumping in these videos when I can and, and helping people. So thank you again. Uh, for having me because we're going to talk about my favorite topic which is blocking is there too much I, I'm, I'm i'm not asking this the right way in your opinion because it seems like everybody has an idea to start a blog and then they get going and then they either run with it or they kind of fade away is there too much out there right now in the world of blogging or where do you see blogging now versus things like podcasting or or web video or vlogging, for example. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And you asked it right, because what you're really kind of hinting at is this concept that Mark Schaefer came up with a few years ago called content shock. And as consumers of content, we are shocked. We're feeling shocked and attacked and overwhelmed by the sheer volume of content 
that's out there. So the real crux of your question is if you want to start creating content, whether it's blog, video, podcast, whatever the case might be, if you want to start creating content, how do you not be a part of the noise? Mm. How do you stand out? And there are ways to do that. You don't have to just fit in with everybody else. You don't have to be a normal blogger like everybody else who's creating the same mundane kind of boring content that nobody else wants to read. You need to differentiate yourself. And that comes with what you're talking about. That comes with the way that you're talking about it, who you're talking to. Uh, so really it boils down to being very, very uh, focused right in in what it is that you're writing about or or videoing or, or podcasting because it's really all the same thing mm -hmm. it's all just content in different mediums and in fact if you do it right you can leverage all these different kinds of content to create the other forms of content so that you reach more people like we're doing a video right now i'm doing a video again in two hours on facebook where i'm talking to anna hoffman about repurposing so that's a live video just like this one, when it's done, I'm going to strip the audio out of it and turn it into a podcast. And I'm going to take that video and take a transcript of it, put it on a blog post. And now it's written. Wow. So written the transcript, post. stop right there real quick yeah. and, and kind of go through that. Um, I'm all about redistributing content, making it work for you and not creating more work. We've definitely stripped the audio. We we put that on Anchor. We've been using Anchor uh, to start this new the new series that we have. And then the transcribing is one that I'm leery of, of the time commitment to it. Um, are, are there certain ways that that can be, you know, maximized? Do you have a system in place that works really well for you on, on that? I, I do and I don't. I, I say I don't because um, it's it's been about a year since I was doing regular interviews myself where I'm hosting it. Uh, so I'm kind of restarting that and I'm not 100% sure what I used to do is going to work today. But what I used to do was use a service like Rev.com to create yeah. an initial transcript of the video content. Then I would write an introduction and I would write a conclusion or, or a summary of points or something like that. And I'd still have to go through and edit that transcript because they're never going to get it right. There are always going to be errors in there, but I do recommend you use a service, a professional service like Rev and not like Fiverr because you're going to end up paying about the same amount, but it's going to be a higher quality at the end of the day. And that amount that you pay, by the way, is, is going to differ with the length of the interview. So unfortunately for me, I tend to ramble and I tend to let my guests ramble. So my interviews are usually an hour long. I don't know how long we're going to go today, but that's, you know, 60 minutes of, of transcription is obviously going to be more expensive than 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Uh, so there's a cost associated with that, but I think it's worth it because it, it puts all that text right there on the site. People can read it if they don't want to watch the video, if they don't want to listen to this, the audio. Now you talked about like that oversaturation uh, of the, of the space and then three, four blogs a day. And that kind of anchors in with a question from Karen who says, how many blog posts per week or month do you recommend? So I'm guessing the answer is there's not one size that fits all, but how much I guess is too much when it comes to that, you know, balancing that concern about oversaturation and still kind of wanting to get your niche and, and, and fit in with the environment. Yeah, I love that question. And and I have to give everybody's favorite answer, which is it depends. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the first thing I like to tell people is <clears throat> when you're wondering about how much content you should or maybe could create, the first question is, what are your business goals? What do you want to accomplish 
with your blog content. For most businesses, this part looks the same. We want more traffic. We want more leads. We want more sales. And we want it now, right? <laughs> what we're hoping to do ultimately is to not have to push ads. We're not wanting to do tremendous amounts of social activity. What we're hoping is that Google will find our content and start referring people to it on a regular basis. They'll drive that organic traffic into the blog. The blog will take that that traffic and get people interested in our brand, will then turn around and buy from us. That's usually the long-term goal for businesses. So at this point, I explain that HubSpot did a survey and some research a few years ago, and it's, it's largely true today. And what they did was they looked at about a thousand corporations that had been blogging for a while. They looked at how much blog content they had when they started creating that blog content, how long it took them to get to the amount of content that they have today. And then they compared that with how much traffic leads and sales those companies were getting. And what they found was that on average, once you get to about 50 pieces of content in your archive, your search engine referral traffic begins to increase exponentially. Wow. 50 pieces of content. So that leads us then to the question, how often should we blog? And the answer is, how long do you want to wait before you get to 50 pieces of content and start to achieve exponential increases in traffic, leads, and sales? Is it a year out? Well, then publish once a week. Is it sooner than that? Then you're going to have to publish more often than that. So that answers the first part of the question, how often you should blog from a business goal perspective. Now, you touched on another point, Kevin, which is what about the perception from your audience? What's too much? right, in terms of, of content, right? Are we hitting content shock as a publisher? That's where you simply have to focus on quality, right? We're not publishing just to publish. We're publishing to educate, entertain, and engage our audience. And we have to make sure that every single piece of content that we put out has those kinds of goals in mind and helps our audience in some way. Because if you're being helpful, there is no such thing as too much content. If you love everything I put out, you're not going to ask me to stop. You're going to ask me, Mike, what's coming out tomorrow? Because you want to know because it helped you today. I answered some questions for you. I helped save you some time or some money and whatever it is that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. You can't wait for me to come up with something tomorrow that's going to help you even more. So if you're keeping those things in mind, your goals and the quality, then you just have to think about, well, what can we reasonably do, right? Not everybody can blog twice a day. Maybe you can blog twice a week maybe even three times a week. That's usually my recommended volume, particularly for businesses that are just getting started. Obviously, it'll take a little while to get that initial ramp up. But once you're comfortable with how to blog and you've got a wealth of ideas and you can start creating that content on a regular basis, two to three times a week until you get to that point where you're happy with the amount of traffic and leads and sales that you're getting, that's what I recommend. Well, Karen says... Thank you for the question, and it has helped her a lot. Karen, thank you for watching and being a part and, and, and interacting with us. So where are you at? Blogs. Oh, I have about, I have two different blogs. Um, actually, this Saturday, May 26th, will mark two years that I've been on a blog streak where I've, I've blogged at least once a day um, and gotten that out there. I'm at about 2150, I think, 2150 wow. blogs. I've, I've had my, my, my main blog for uh, almost eight years now. And I'm not anywhere near where I want to be, but I feel like every, every year, every month that passes, I'm getting closer to that and I am reaching uh, new people. But it does get very, 
discouraging when you post something and you, you've poured your heart into it and you felt like this is a good idea or, or whatever. And then you, you don't get a whole lot of clicks on it. There's not a whole lot of feedback and, and or people reading it. So Mike, what, what advice do you have to those young? And I mean, young and you're and, not young. No, I mean, young and, <laughs> and beginners uh, who are getting yeah. into this game and, and expect, well, I have 3000 friends on Facebook and they'll all read this and share it and whatever. And, and then you get, you know, a half dozen hits, what what advice do you have to 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 not become discouraged and to keep yeah. moving forward? Yeah, I love I love this question because we've all been there. Many of us are still there. And it's this idea that we should be able to just create a piece of content and it'll go viral because Seth Godin's content goes viral. Why shouldn't my content go viral? Seth Godin writes two paragraphs and, and gets like a, a, a billion clicks. Uh, why can't I do that? I want to write two paragraphs and get a billion clicks. And the reality is it doesn't work that way because Seth didn't start today. Seth started like two decades ago, right? And he didn't even start with a blog. He started with other forms of content, books, and other kinds of things, and then created blogs and newsletters and podcasts and so on. So like anything else in life, you can't compare your beginning to somebody else's middle. Mm. It's not the same. And it, it's something we all fight with, I think. Uh, I certainly fight with it every day. I see what my friends and my colleagues and influencers and mentors, like we were talking about, you know, before the show, people that I look up to and I see what they're doing and I see the success that they at least seem to be having on, you know, webinars and those kinds of things. I'm like, well, why can't I do that? Why don't I have that? Well, they did different things to get where they're at today. And I've done different things to get where I'm at today. And my goals are probably different from theirs. So there's that. There's the perceptual problem. Yeah that we just have to wrestle with on a regular basis. Don't worry so much about what other people are doing. Uh, focus on what you're doing. Have those goals in mind. And then the second thing is to not allow yourself to be discouraged. Look at everything you do like it's a test and be as analytical and dispassionate as possible. And I know that that's hard because we pour our soul into each individual piece of content and each project that we do and each client that we work with, you know, there's, there's always going to be that emotional conne connection. But if we can, we take that out and we look at it dispassionately as an experiment and say, okay, well, this piece of content worked better than this other piece of content that I published or not as good. And why might that have been? Is it the topic? Is it when I publish it? Is it how I wrote it? Uh, you know, did I do something differently in terms of the promotion of that particular piece of content? Did it read differently? Did it sound different? You know, whatever the case might be, whatever you can find or discover or think about it, maybe you need to bring in a friend. I mean, you two are great. You got that partnership. So you automatically have somebody else who can jump in and look at what you're doing. Other people like myself, I'm the only one in the room. <laughs> so I've got to have people that are outside of my business that can be a kind of a mastermind or a board of advisors or good friends who are all also somewhat related to me in terms of the business and industry that I've been, who can look at what I'm doing and say, Mike, this was great, but this, this kind of stunk. This is rubbish. Don't ever do that again. Because <laughs> sometimes we need that outside opinion to look at what we're doing. You know, one of the things that I've really embraced a lot is the redistribution of content. Mm -hmm. uh, there is this, this, concept of you write a blog, you put it out there, Google sees it and Google and Yahoo and Bing are going to distribute that and you're going to be great. And I realized, and I know there's a lot of there's pros and cons, 
uh, on redistribution of content, how often, when you should, what platforms. I'm a big advocate of it, but I want to know what your thoughts are on redistribution of content. Yeah, you absolutely have to. And then the other consideration is that these things change every day. The stuff that I was doing 12 months, 18 months ago to promote my content or to redistribute it, as you, as you say, that largely doesn't work today. The stuff just, just changes, right? So for instance, Facebook's a great example. People love to talk about the fall and the apocalypse, which is Facebook reach and organic reach. So if you've got a Facebook page and you're trying to share your content to that page, you're reaching if you're lucky, 1% of the people that like your page, and even those 1%, they're not necessarily going to do anything. They just happen to see the post in their feed. So then you get that six clicks, right, that you were talking about, Kevin. So what you have to do is change a little bit with the environment. And this is hard because you have to know how you're supposed to change. So it ends up having to, you know, you have to follow people who are talking about this stuff and who are constantly experimenting with it. Like one of the things that we do at Agorapulse that I love is called the social media lab. And they're literally testing things and they're investing countless hours and weeks and money testing what techniques work and don't. And they're able to do it at a somewhat higher level than you and I might, because I've got one Facebook page. I, I'm not managing a bunch of different Facebook pages. And even if I was, I couldn't necessarily use them all in a test, right? But Agorapulse has some other options there. So we find things like if you're sharing content to Facebook, don't share it as a link post. Share an image and include a link to the content in the description and you'll reach 10 times more people, 10 times. So when I do that on my Facebook page, my reach is 20 to 25%, not 1%. Nice. Do live video. That also works extremely, extremely well. And when you're doing, creating this content, share the content in ways that encourage engagement, like by asking questions and doing those kinds of things. So there are ways to succeed, even on behemoths like Facebook, where everybody says you can't get anywhere on Facebook if you're not paying. It's not true. It's just different now. So to get really to your question, you absolutely must have a full-on promotion plan in place every single time you publish a new post because people aren't just going to find it. You have to share it out. Mark Schaefer, who I already mentioned once, he said the economic value of content that is neither seen or shared is zero. No one reads your content. It's worth nothing. You have to share it out. People have to read it in order for that to be a valuable use of your time. But then to your point, Tom, you need to keep sharing it. Now that volume will be different from one platform to another. And this is where we're going to get into some details of social networks that will change tomorrow. <laughs> so this is not the rule. This is just what, yeah, it's right. Oh, shoot. <laughs> it's gone. So like Facebook, for instance, you wouldn't want to share the same content more than once. You right. can share um, a link to that same content again in a month or two, but just make sure that your share is different, that you're addressing it. Maybe you're quoting it or asking a different question. You're trying to get people engaged with that topic in a different way than what you originally did, because you're probably reaching mostly the same people that you reached the first time you shared. Twitter, totally different. You can bang out shares of that same content over and over and over again, and you're going to be reaching largely different people every single time. And those old tweets are worthless after 18 minutes. Nobody's going to see them. So don't worry about that. Now, I should caveat everything I just said with the fact that Twitter has recently said, we don't want you sharing the exact same tweets 
over and over again. So you do need to be careful about that. You're probably not going to want to share the same tweet over and over again, even if it's 30 or 60 days in between those shares. You're probably going to want to adjust those tweets, tweak them a little bit, use different hashtags, use different language, ask a question, change up the emoji, whatever you want to do to make sure each one of those tweets is a little bit different. But absolutely keep sharing that content out because you're gaining new followers all the time. You're reaching different followers at different times of the day and you're reaching people that didn't see that first tweet or that first Facebook post or LinkedIn or Google Plus or Pinterest or Instagram or anywhere else that you might possibly share that content. Be all those places, share it all the time. You know, Mike, from a from a business owner perspective and, and also sales, one of the things that I've done with that, with the change with Twitter of not retweeting the same thing is really being strategic about the redistribution and finding the hashtags in the targeted cities and areas mm -hmm. or the demographics that I want to go into. And I put that in a content uh, cycle or rotation. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that I, I mean, what do you think about that strategy? So you're asking whether you should repeat tweets? With targeted hashtags. So I'm like, let's say if I want to go into a specific industry, whether it's lawyers, real, um, uh, real estate, uh, in, in a specific Asheville, Tennessee, I'm trying to change up the hashtags uh, along with that. So I have my core content for Twitter, uh, my post with my catch, you know, my link, but then I'm adjusting the hashtags for that to target specific areas. Do you like that idea? Well, it's very interesting. I mean, it, it's hard to say whether it's a um, effective technique without actually getting into the hashtags themselves. Uh, but it's it's certainly a good idea. Like in, in my industry, we'll be talking about specific conferences. Uh, and we'll use, you know, like hashtag MDMC18, right? And we'll, we'll use that to engage with that community on Twitter. And that's where you want to be careful and that you're actually engaging with the community in some way. Um, and I know you are, so this isn't, this isn't directed at you, but I, I've seen terrible, terrible examples. Uh, Instagram actually is the worst at this where there'll be a conference or some event going on and random people will use that conference hashtag on their random posts that have nothing to do with that, the conference or the people attending it. Uh, I'm at social media marketing world, which is SMMW 18, you know, hashtag SMMW 18. And if you go to the Instagram feed, you'll see, you know, girls sunbathing and, you know, guys working out. And I mean, it has nothing to do. They just want the extra visibility because it's a trending hashtag. That's terrible. Don't ever do that. Uh, but what you're doing, targeting industries, targeting geolocations, um, and looking for ways to engage with that community on Twitter using their hashtag and your content and combination, yeah, that sounds great. Mike, and then I'll, I want to give uh, Kevin a chance to ask some questions. If you could go back to that first year of, of you starting out blogging, what would be your three things that you would tell yourself that you needed to do? Good question. So number one, first and foremost, I needed to be more focused in what I was writing about and who I was writing to. And I tell the story all the time. I thought at the time that if I wrote about anything business related, I would be reaching business owners and they would fall in love with my content and they'd fall in love with me and then they'd hire me to do whatever it was that they wanted to do. And, and then that would be great. So I wrote about office furniture. I wrote about email signatures. I wrote, I live blogged Apple events. All the while, I'm trying to promote myself as a social media marketer, which meant there was a giant disconnect between what I was writing about 
and the audience I was trying to reach and the topics that I was trying to become an authority on. And that was a huge waste of time. That content didn't get any traffic at all. It was terrible for me. So I learned through pain and suffering and, and time that what I needed to focus on was narrower and narrower niches, more and more focused topics and more and more focused audiences. It isn't just anyone who owns a business because that's just, that's just super vague. It's, it's got to be people that might potentially hire somebody like me as a starting point, right? Enterprise, they don't hire contractors. They have staff. They have employees. They have a whole department that does marketing and social media. So they're not looking to reach. They're not looking to connect with somebody like me. So why would I write content that only enterprise people would relate to? That's a total mismatch. Um, so even if the topic is somewhat on point uh, for what I was trying to get to, the target was off. So those are the top two things, you know, focusing my content and focusing my audience. And then the last thing is having realistic goals in mind for your content and for your business. Are you trying to drive traffic? Are you trying to uh, create passive revenue? Are you trying to create an active revenue? In other words, you know, get yourself hired because the content that you create won't service both of those goals at the same time. So you need to pick one and focus on that if at all possible. I don't remember if we were talking about it before we started or, or when we were uh, during the broadcast, but you know, we were talking about surrounding yourself for, uh, you know, getting in there, you know, if, if you're going to play basketball, for example, you want to play against Michael Jordan, you don't want to, uh, you know, play against people that, that you can easily beat. Uh, I have surrounded myself, I, I feel like, but with a lot of people who are very proficient in blogging or social media. Um, and I learn and I, and I try to absorb as much as I can. And it started off as a hobby. And now I am actually uh, doing some freelance work and, and getting paid at doing this. But what advice do you have to someone who maybe doesn't have that, that knack of, of networking and are able to blog, they have a passion and they want to monetize it and turn it from a hobby into something that, that could potentially pay the bills? Yeah, we were talking about that before, and 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 both of you are right in that you got to have that in place. You got to have those relationships, and and I was actually been thinking about it while we've been talking about other ways because there's actually three levels to it that I see. We talked before about having people that are at your level and people above your level, and there's actually a third level: people that are below your level. And you need all those relationships. You need people around you who are close to your level who can relate to you and you can relate to them and you can have detailed conversations with them and help each other in really, really tangible, meaningful ways. I usually call them masterminds, but it could be a board of advisors. It could just be a good friend, whatever the case might be, a par business partner, but you need that. You have to have that. And as bloggers, you need to have that, particularly if you are working on your business alone. There aren't other people in the office like me. I'm alone in the room. There's nobody that I can turn to and say, hey, George, what do you think about this? George doesn't exist. He's not real. <laughs> so I, I need other people that I can turn to and message and, and reach out to uh, and say, you know, hey, what do you think about this? Should I do this? Or can you help me with this? So everybody needs that. You also want people that are beyond you in terms of their journey. Like I said before, I don't want to say better than you, but they're more advanced. They're further along. They're people that you can look up to. You can get inspiration from. And to take it even further, hopefully, find someone who will be a mentor to you. 
someone who you look up to so much and they're doing the kinds of things that, that you want to be able to do down the road and who would be willing to take a little bit of their time every once in a while and sit down with you virtually, physically, whatever the case might be, and talk through what you're doing and lend you some of their experience and insight. That's a great relationship to have so great that you also want to have it on the other end. You want to be a mentor to other people. People who are mentors to other people discover the truth of mentoring, which is that they usually get more out of the relationship than the mentee. And that's why you want to find people who've done it before. Michael Hyatt talks about this all the time. If you can be a mentor to other people, it will help you in your business today, even though you're teaching them and you're helping them with, you know, their experiences by showing them what you've gone through, it'll open your eyes to realities and opportunities. And you'll want to do that over and over and over again. So that's the kind of the three tier relationship that I think everybody should have. And social media is fantastic because that's where we can meet people who are doing those kinds of things, either they're at our level, they're above our level, they're below our level, whatever the case might be. And you can look for opportunities for those relationships to move forward. You know, that's the one thing that I've noticed going engaging with people is that every time you put yourself out there, you create opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've learned that that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned is that I have to put myself out there, whether it's with you with blogging or we do, we do benefits or we do whatever um, inside my comfort zone and trying new things. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be at that tier one level. I might be at the tier three and one thing. But just making that step and, and putting myself out there, because uh, I, I told Kevin, I was like, I met Mike. I said, I'm really nervous to ask Mike because, you know, Mike's at this tier. In my, in my world, Mike's at this tier one. And I'm like, I hope he wants to do this interview. Yeah. You were taking the time because it really meant a lot to me, but mostly because I wanted you to meet Kevin and have Kevin get the opportunity to ask these questions because I want him to take his blog to the next level. He's got a, you've got a personal goal that you want to raise this year for your blogging services. You, you want to make how much this year? Uh, My goal is $20,000, which I I think uh, people who are proficient and into the blogging scene think, well, that's not very much, but you know, year before last, I was like right around four this year or uh, in 2017, I was only like at 1700. Last year was a bad year. So I'm like, I'm rebounding. And I just shot for the stars because I'm like, it will push me to do more and work harder. And I, and I, I have, um, and you know, we're, we're coming up before, you know, it'll be halfway through the year. I'm not anywhere near that yet, but I am further along than I was last for the entire year of last year. So, you know, I feel like, and probably you would, you would, I'm guessing agree with this. You have to set those goals and kind of shoot for them uh, no matter what you're doing, but especially when it comes to something like blogging. Oh, absolutely. Because you, you, you have to be self-motivated. You know, even though we've been talking about all these relationships, the the people that you bring into your life that you surround yourself with, they're not literally going to kick you in the butt until you blog. They're going to encourage you as much as they can, but at some point, it's, it's ultimately up to you. So you're going to have to have those self-motivating goals, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, creating so much content, you know, making so much money, creating so many relationships, getting so much traffic, whatever those goals might be, you got to have them and you got to have ways to measure them uh, so that you can get at them. Um, but I, I do think it's funny what you said, Tommy, because, you know, we were kind of looking at this comparison between, um, 
you know, Kevin, you said Michael Jordan. If you want to be the best at, at basketball, you play with Michael Jordan, right? Well, what we're talking about is different in the sense that we can look back over the history of basketball and we know who the greats are and we know that there was nobody better than Jordan and Chamberlain and Curry and LeBron. I mean, there's really, they're the elite and that's it. They're, they're at the ceiling. It's not the case with us in our industries, right? You said I'm a tier one. I am not. There are people way better than me, but from your perspective, you know, I'm up here. And then if you looked at it from my perspective, you'd see people that are way up here. And if you looked at their perspective, there are people that are way up there. It never stops. So there are always people that are better than us, always people that we can look up to and we can learn from and other people that we can relate to and other people that we can help. So I, I love that that uh, is true about our industry. And I love that our industry in particular is really open to that. There are other industries and people who might even be listening where you might be saying to yourself, the listeners, wow, Mike, that sounds great, but that's not true for me. And it might not be. I get that. Right. If if you're in a small town and, and you're a lawyer, you know, you might not have that same relationship with all the other lawyers in town. You know, so you might not have to branch out to lawyers who are across the country and who aren't really going to be in competition with you uh, or, or paralegals or something like that. So that's there's there's challenges in other industries. But I love that about ours. And the other one point that I want to leave you guys with on that note is no matter what industry you're in, look for opportunities and events that are designed for networking. We met at a conference, right? And just a few weeks before that, I was in San Diego for the bigger conference and the biggest conference in our industry, social media marketing world. Um, and, and that's where I got to you know, spend a lot of time with Jen Herman. And I got to, I got to finally meet Stephanie Lou face to face. We hadn't met face to face before that. We'd known each other online. Then we got to spend so much time at MDMC and now we're like best friends and we talk every day. That's what that live event can do is give you that real life connection with somebody and who knows where that will go. It's incredible. So look for those. So let's, let's wrap up with where are the missed opportunities to monetize and make money? What are some common mistakes that people are doing that are, that they, they need to be looking at if they want to monetize and actually make money blogging? One of the easy mistakes, uh, because you, you don't know any better, so it's, it's hard to even call it a mistake, but you think, okay, I'm going to create some content and I'll use Google ads to earn some revenue. So you start blogging and you put Google ads on it. And that's actually a mistake because you haven't created enough of a history of content. You don't have that sizable enough archive to have developed a real audience to have some backlinks and organic traffic and social traffic and so on. So when Google sees that, like this is like blog post number two that you've published and you're trying to slap ads all over the place, Google's not going to be nice to you about that. Google's not going to send you all kinds of traffic just so it can send you all kinds of checks uh, for cash. So you want to hold off on that and really most other forms of monetization as well. Now, it's one thing if you're talking about creating content for a business where you're selling your time as a, as a service or something like that, then by all means, you know, talk about what you can do for somebody. But when we're looking at the passive revenue side of monetization ads, um, selling products, selling books, eBooks, those kinds of things that you might do, you want that audience first. 
because if anybody comes to your site, whether it's Google or a casual reader like myself, and I feel like you're just trying to sell me through your site, through your content, I'm not going to be open to what you have to say. I'm not going to be interested in what you're trying to teach me. But if you focus on the relationship first, if you focus on trying to help me to try to teach me, then I'm going to fall in love with you and your content. I'm going to want to subscribe to your updates. I'm going to want to download whatever it is that you're offering for free. Uh, I'm going to become a follower and a fan. So then later on, when you've got a course, when you're doing a webinar and you want to turn that into uh, you know, a paid product like a planner or something or whatever the case might be, whatever you can think of that you can create and sell, I'm going to be way more open to that because now we've got a relationship. I'm familiar with you. My relationship, you know, that there's obviously a big spectrum there. It, it goes from being familiar with you all the way to, you know, just being absolutely in love with everything that you're doing. And I can't wait to support you and tell my friends about what you're doing. That's the kind of raving fan that you want. And it takes time to get to that. And it starts with not trying to sell me from day one. So, I mean, basically there's no timeline to be a successful blogger. I mean, I think that's what everybody needs to understand. There could be that person that hits it and gets picked up by LinkedIn or Mashable overnight and becomes successful. But there's also those that have probably been in the industry four five, six years. And they're slowly, <laughs> they're slowly building. But the thing that I think about what you're saying, Mike, is that that Kevin is building this over time, building a real audience. So that way, as he continues to grow, he's got a real following that he's not going to have to worry about them separating and, and, and leaving the, the coop. Yeah. You, new bloggers, I tell them, you got to have at least six months of stamina going into this, right? You got to know that you're not going to see anything happen for at least six months. Realistically, you will not be the guy that publishes one blog post and it goes viral. That, that That's not even real. So you have to be able to put that time. You have to be willing to put that time in. And then you have to realize that even then it's still a growth pattern. Like, like, you know, I mean, it takes years to develop an audience. It takes years to find your direction, to find your voice, um, to decide on, on how much to really narrow and get down. So that's constant improvements, constant experiments, like we talked about earlier. And just being aware that everything takes time. Got to be patient. I have to be willing to look at what I've been doing objectively and see how much of this is me still growing my audience and how much of what I'm seeing is me not being the best that I can and I still need to improve. I still need to improve. I'm not the world's greatest blogger. I'm, I'm not. I make mistakes with every blog post. Hopefully, I can look back at content that I've created sometimes six months, sometimes six years ago and say, oh, okay, this was terrible. And I can see why, because I've been doing it now for a couple of years, for more than a couple of years. And I know the mistakes that I was making back then, and at least I'm not making those mistakes anymore. Now I'm making all new mistakes. And it'll take me a while to figure out what those new mistakes are going to be. And that's, again, going back to the relationships where if you've got people in your life that can help you by looking at your content objectively and giving you feedback, that's super, super valuable. Most of us don't have that. So let's be real candid about that. If you are creating blog content, and let's say you get 100 readers on average to your blog post, 99.99% of the time, they're not going to give you any feedback at all. You're not going to hear anything. They're not going to leave comments. They're not going to share and say something about it. And they're certainly not going to send you private messages saying, well, Kevin, I really liked this particular post, but I thought that had you left me with a call to action at the end, I might have read further. But since you didn't, I was just done. They don't tell you that. 
But if you've got people in your life who can, who objectively look at your content and say, well, Kevin, I love this topic. You hit it great, but you left me hanging at the end. I didn't know what I was supposed to do next. You should have put a call to action at the bottom that said, here, call me or here, read this other post or here, subscribe to my content, something like that. Then you'd be like, oh, wow, thanks. I, I didn't think about that. And I forgot for that particular post. So that's uh that's what you're hoping to have i think is is those people in your lives that that can help you with that so kevin wrap it up you've got all this in the head right here what's you get one more question with mike what is it going to be <laughs> make it count man we might have bombed this interview he might not ever talk to us again <laughs> I, yeah i i really i mean i have been a sponge for the last 40 minutes and 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 just really absorbing and taking in what you've said let let us let you kind of plug yourself and the social media hat.com is is where people can find you um but also uh talk about your social media and and how folks if they have further questions or want to uh ask you more how can they reach out to you that's my guy right there always see we're always trying to help everybody else too that's awesome i'm like you sure that's what you want to be your one question <laughs> I, I, mean, honestly, I, I really i mean i i've got all this swirling in my head now and i honestly i do appreciate everything that you've said and i know that you've helped some of our viewers here today as well and in, in, in the archive on the podcast uh, this stuff. And I'm going to go back and listen to it as well and, and take notes because, you know, sitting here conducting the interview is one thing, but then going back and actually being able to listen again and, and, and take it all in has been very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and I totally appreciate that. And I can relate to that. The one thing I'll say is that I love how today we've been at a very strategic high level most of the time, which is what a lot of people need and they're not looking for. Uh, most people, when they're trying to develop a blog, they're looking for the tactical stuff, right? How many words should it be? How many links should I include, right? How do I tweet it out and, and all that kind of stuff. And while that stuff's nice, that's not what's going to make you successful. Right. It's having people in your life and, and, you know, trying to create content that genuinely helps other people. So for the tactical stuff, my blog's full of that. Go to the socialmediahat.com, subscribe, look at the blogging category. There's tons of traffic. I've been writing about blogging for a decade now. There's tons of information there, you know, from how to start a blog all the way to, you know, how to monetize it and how to really optimize it so that you're not wasting your time. So definitely check that out on the socialmediahat.com. And, and I think you'll be uh, helped in a lot of different ways. You know, just, I, I gotta ask, cause we had this conversation uh, about uh, content distribution and platforms. I've checked out uh, Agora Pulse. I'm really interested. I know you've done a couple of articles where you've done some comparisons, uh, but kind of tell us what, what Agora Pulse is for our viewers and what they can do to check it out and if they want to use it as a scheduling platform. Well, thanks for letting me plug Agora Pulse. I appreciate Absolutely. that. <laughs> so Agora Pulse is, is one of those few all-in-one social media management tools. And what I mean by that is the tool supports more than one network and more than one function for all of those networks. So you can do scheduled posts, you can monitor your posts and activity for like comments and, and mentions and that sort of thing. You can get reports, um, you can queue up content. So, and, and Agora Pulse supports Twitter, Facebook pages, LinkedIn profiles, LinkedIn pages, Google Plus pages, Instagram, and YouTube. So with all those different networks, 
not all of them work exactly the same way because the APIs are all different, but you can publish content, schedule content, and monitor and get reports for most of them. So it's comparable to tools like Hootsuite or Sprout Social. Uh, it's not comparable to Buffer. Buffer doesn't have across-the-board reporting. Buffer doesn't have monitoring and listening. So that's where some of the differences lie in the comparisons because you're right. I've, I've done a lot of that in the past. I used to write about Hootsuite quite a bit. Then fell in love with Agora Pulse because it's it's frankly just an easier tool to use. One of the difference, though, of course, is the pricing and how that tool is designed in terms of who it's designed for. So I'll be the first to admit Agora Pulse usually isn't the cheapest, at least not out of the gate. If you have one social profile, you're not going to want Agora Pulse. You don't need it. If you've got two social profiles or even three, Agora Pulse is probably too expensive. It starts at 50 bucks a month versus like 10 or 15 bucks a month for some other tools. But once you get to more than a few social profiles, once you start to have like a team, uh, for instance, or you've got a bunch of different profiles, you got personal and branded profiles like I do, that sort of thing, that's when Agora Pulse actually ends up being cheaper than some of the other tools because they really pile on the costs when you have like 10, 15, 20 profiles or more. And Agora Pulse doesn't quite go up as expensively. So that's the, the 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 meat of it as to what the difference is. Uh, and, and I think anybody who's interested in managing their social would do well to just go to agorapulse.com and sign up for a free trial and check it out. See if it's right for you. Sounds great. And, you know, we've talked about it and I'm, I'm actually kind of shopping, uh, looking around at some of the options. You know, one of the things that's hard, you mentioned the APIs, uh, these content management systems, you're at the mercy of these APIs for these social platforms and they do update and they do adjust. So, you know, for, for, for a team like I have, where we manage, you know, up to 25 businesses at this point right now, we, when we're down, when those APIs update and we, our content doesn't go out, we have to redistribute that. We have to either copy and paste. If we've copied the content, it creates this havoc, but it's also not a lot of times the fault of the content management system. Uh, and, and that's what I'm always asking. Other than reporting, I'm always asking questions about, you know, how long, how well is the relationship with the content management service and these, these uh, social platforms? Because a lot of times the communication helps alleviate the downtime because downtime is bad in my industry mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, that's why you want to look for things like whether they're an official partner. Right. And how they've weathered some of the more recent star storms. It was really cool. I was actually at our, our Paris headquarters uh, last month or two months ago when Facebook and Instagram like did the nuclear option and all their APIs. Right. And they just just shut everybody down. And as a partner, Agora Pulse was able to quickly make some adjustments and get back into the game. Unfortunately, there are other tools and therefore thousands and tens of thousands of other users who are left out in the cold tools that maybe were focused on one specific feature like like meet edgar's a, an unfortunate example and smarter q their bread and butter was allowing people to repeat the same tweet an unlimited number of times just over and over and over again you fill up that queue and you let it go and it's hands off and twitter's like mm -mm, you're not going to do that anymore and they're like well what else are we going to do as a business they're done there's nothing else they can do. Whereas, you know, an Agora Pulse and a Sprout Social and a Hootsuite, they've got a much broader range of features. They've got those long-term relationships 
with the vendors, with the partners. Tailwind's a great example uh, on the Pinterest side, right? They have a fantastic relationship with Pinterest. They work very closely with them. And so they're able to create all kinds of features and they know in advance when changes are coming and they're able to weather those storms. So that's what you want to look for. Sounds good. Well, we're going to let you go. I know you got a busy day. Uh, we've yeah. got lots of content. Uh, we're going to redistribute yeah, this absolutely, and get this out for everybody. And uh, we do appreciate all your, your advice, Mike, and uh, we wish you the best. And if you ever, ever want to take Kevin and I with you to, uh, to Paris, to the main office, please, please let us know. We'll, we'll meet you. We, I've got some room in the luggage. You guys can squeeze in. There you go. No problem. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And you have a great day. You want to wrap up the show? Sure. Uh, again, uh, Mike Alton, it is at Mike underscore Alton, A-L-L-T-O-N on Twitter. And again, the socialmediahat.com. Check it out. It is a great tool uh, if you are really wanting to get into the blogging game and learn more. Of course, he's at itomharness on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Kevin Huntsberger on those uh, forms of media, social media as well. Mike, once again, thank you so much for being a part of another round with Tom and Kevin. Thank you, guys.